0: Welcome, welcome to the pre-roll for ELL 178, and today I want to encourage you as the lockdowns open up and as you get out to the park, as you start working out, as you start getting out and about, maybe you're getting a little sore, maybe maybe your dog's getting a little, uh, little wrecked up in the joints because he's running around and having a good old time on the beach. I encourage you to go to NorthSpokaneCBD.com, get yourself some oils, get yourself some uh, tinctures, get everything that you need as far as CBD products go to help your body revive itself and uh, become the best you you can be. Again, if you use the code LIONS at NorthSpokaneCBD.com, you also get 15% off your order. So what's not to love? Let's embrace this glorious new normal that we are uh, facing now by enjoying some good CBD products from our friends who are, of course, libertarians. All right, let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams.
0: Welcome back to the world. That's not a song. I don't know what that was. Welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, everybody. Hope you had a fun, carefree Memorial Day weekend. Of course, that would mean, were it fun and carefree, that you did not take part in the Libertarian National Convention, which took place over Zoom this past weekend. Yes, it started up on Friday, went through Saturday, and went through More or less, it's all about 4 p.m. on Sunday. And us on the West Coast here, we had the pleasure of starting at 8 in the morning because they were doing 10 a.m. Austin time because that's where, I guess, the convention was supposed to be held. So they're starting at 8 in the goddamn morning on Saturday. I think they they started later in the day on Friday. And, of course, uh, the same thing on Sunday. You may have already heard, because they did the recap show on Monday. I encourage you to listen to that because me... Uh, or myself, Howie, and Mark were all delegates, as well as John Odermatt. Howie was Virginia, Odermatt was Pennsylvania, Mark and I, of course, California. And uh, us and some of our uh, cohorts, including Dan Smolt from the System is Down podcast, also was a delegate. And uh, we had a good old time talking it up in the Discord, but that was about the only good time that was there to be had. Sitting on our Discord channel, talking trash, because it was, as you would imagine, a shit show. I mean, I can imagine a libertarian convention in person being bad enough with everybody lining up in their queue and making sure that they get their point out because of the, uh, the autistic spectrum that libertarianism does run. So people have to say the thing that they have to say, and they will say it even if somebody else has already said it three fucking times, which is basically what happened on Friday, where it took five hours, five hours just to set the agenda. There was much time-wasting. There was much Robert's Rules of Order nonsensing. There was uh, the only... I mean, I did find it entertaining just uh, what of a dick Nick Sirwark was. And granted, I did not come away with a good taste in my mouth about Nick because Nick also, on the final day, uh, basically stormed off gave the gavel to our friend Alex Merced because Nick did not want to take part in the vote for the Orlando convention because he didn't want to do it. He said that he would not be party of it or or chair if we did, in fact, go forward with that. They'd have to elect someone today. It was a whole rigmarole. However, if you did listen to the Friday show, you would have heard me go off on everybody. <laughs> uh, at the end of Friday's business, essentially, you could raise your hand and speak. And I was so... So good and hammered by that point, because frankly, the only way to get through it with maintaining any sort of sanity was to get good and drunk. But I had my say, and which was basically to tell everybody that they were uh, a bunch of shit, time-wasting assholes and that they needed to get the crap together and get shit done. And they were an embarrassment. So proud of that moment. I had many people thank me for my service in stating the obvious there. And uh, I'll tell you my quick takeaways, because again, you guys just listened to a whole show about the LNC on Monday. And uh, yeah, basically, I am—I I can't say I'm unhappy with Joe Jorgensen as a candidate. I would not have picked her, and I did not vote for her. Uh, but that's not to take anything away from her victory. I, I think that she's a, a fine candidate. I think that she's been a longtime supporter. Of course, she ran with Harry Brown. Uh, God, I, I can't remember the exact date or the exact year she ran. Uh, she's a good libertarian. She's a good minarchist libertarian. She's good and versed in the party platform. And she is uh, somebody that I think we can put out there and will be fairly adequate. Although I think she needs quite a bit of work and I need think she needs quite a bit of media training as far as getting, away, or getting across what principles we need to drive home and not getting flustered. Because John Stossel had hosted a debate. And he had done a good job. I thought people thought he was being a dick, but I thought he did a good job in pressing people on issues that we are going to be pressed on. You know, a lot of the debates and ours as well, we tried to ask tough questions, but you know, we're not going to be uh, really confrontational. And I feel Stossel was very confrontational, but people are going to be getting tough questions. People are going to be getting questions designed to fluster them, designed to tear down and, and make look foolish libertarian ways of thinking and positions as far as the IRS and the war state and everything else. So I thought he did a good job of exposing where people need to work. And Joe Jorgensen for sure does need to work on that as did everyone, by the way. Uh, the person I came away to having a little bit more respect for was Mons. I thought that he actually came across uh, very well and I hope that he remains a part of the party. He was uh, second in the voting for vice president The party ticket is, of course, Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen. I do like Spike Cohen quite a bit. I think he's a great communicator. Um, I wasn't sure if I should go Mons or Cohen, mostly because once you have a pragmatic candidate like Jorgensen, and that's who the pragmatic caucus got behind, and we're really pushing once uh, their pick of... God, who were they pushing to begin with? I think they were pushing Jim Gray. I know they weren't pushing Hordenberger, because that was the Mises Caucus people. Anywho... Neither here nor there at this point. But once you did have a more pragmatic pick, I thought that it would be strategically advantageous to then put a John Mons in there. So you basically have a ticket that is a female presidential candidate and a black vice presidential candidate, both of whom are very, very solid in their principles, can go out there and field media interviews. Again, maybe with some help to not get flustered. But overall solid people. And in that case, you're putting forward a ticket against two old white guys that have been, uh, both of them in the past, accused of quite a few misgivings. Joe Biden with Tara Reid standing out there. Joe Biden with having just gone on, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'll get back to this later, Charlemagne the God's program and basically said what every Democrat thinks, which is that if you're not going to vote for a Democrat, then you're not black. But we could put out this ticket, which would really effectively be attractive to the SJW left without having to sacrifice our principles. Because we know that half the SJW lefts are just virtue signaling assholes anyway. So they're just going to say, well, okay, I'll vote for this woman and this black guy over Joe Biden, this old white coot that's been in establishment forever and has got, uh, it seems to be plagued with scandals before he's even really been in uh, any sort of presidential uh, vetting system. And Donald Trump, who they can't stand and despise with a passion. Now, at the same time, I supported Vermin Supreme with my candidacy, as you know, and I talked about last show, because I thought he was the only really way, only real person to cut through. I'd love to be proven wrong. I think John Odermatt uh, in our email chat today was just saying that he knows some people already that are left-leaning women or leftist women that have already said, hey, you know what? I'll vote for Joe Jorgensen over either of these two. I hope that is the case. I would love to see people come over from uh, from the left and say, you know what, we're gonna vote with you guys because at least we share half your principles. And I'll take a I'll take a virtue signaling vote for a female candidate. Bring it on, man. <laughs> I'll take it. Whatever's gonna help Liberty forward, get one more step forward, I will gladly take. So there you go. There's my quick take about the LNC. Um, of course, Memorial Day, I don't want to go on a big diatribe about that, but the obvious thing that's always said, and I've been doing this show for many years now, but clearly Memorial Day while we want to respect veterans and remember them, of course, without a doubt because I do not subscribe to the philosophy that all Army veterans are evil. I'm not in the in the Volrock camp in that regard uh, wherein if you are working for the state and you're joined the army that you're automatically a baby killing monster, I think a lot of these people joined up because they had nothing else to do and nowhere else to go. I think a lot of people joined up because they believed in all the jingoism that's rolled out. They've watched too many NFL games where we had Brandon Whedon's getting run over by the American flag, <laughs> something we enjoy talking about on Degenerate Gamblers quite a bit. And that these people, you know, they they have a false sense of patriotism often that's then a rude awakening when they get out there and realize that they're going and fighting and dying for no good reason other than to uh, to protect someone else's oil or because strategically we want to go and, I don't know, I don't even know why we're in Africa. I, I couldn't even pretend to know why we're in Africa. But for some reason we need to be in Africa and, uh, you know, killing Somalis with drone strikes and you joined up and now you're dro- dropping drone bombs on children and old people. That's why Ron Paul had so many donations in his name. And obviously, when Memorial Day comes around, the greatest way we can thank these people is, of course, to stop fighting needless wars, to end the empire of, uh, of militarism that we've built around ourselves and which we're so shielded from because other than Memorial Day, right? Other than if you happen to know somebody directly in the military who has died or has some, or knows somebody that said has died or you're uh, friends with somebody that has come back and is in the VA or you see some of these, these older veterans... We're really pretty far removed from the front, which is why America fights these endless wars. This is what I've said before. Americans, ha- Americans all have it too good in that we're secluded. We have this massive military, so no one's coming in and trying to bomb us. No one's attacking us. We're not seeing people die in front of us. We're not forced to go and fight these wars. And remember that, we're not forced to go and fight these wars. No matter what propaganda they roll out there about the war on terror and the threat, we have to fight them there so we don't have to fight them here. We're not fighting anybody here. We never have, we're never going to have to, at least not while the uh, the empire of the United States exists in its roughly current regime. And I would argue that even were we to slash military spending by 100% privatize things or have a basic militia of very well-armed Americans who could buy whatever kind of armament they'd like, we're still not getting invaded. So the greatest thing we can do is to remind people that people are over there dying from our actions, right? Remember the veterans, sure. Remember what they did, great. Like I said, I don't want to throw these people under the bus. But at the same time, let's also use Memorial Day to remind everybody just how many people have died. That Memorial Day in other countries is probably far more impactful because they have to remember the numerous casualties that every one American that's died that we are now saluting at home how many people have died for that one American overseas and needlessly, needlessly. So if you're out there, you know, you're a, you're a good veteran, you've come home, you, are, uh, you joined up for reasons that you thought were noble and good, and you've come around and come to your senses and you're listening to Electric Liberty Land today, thank you. I appreciate the, uh, the intent of your actions. And I don't find you personally responsible for the actions of America. However, I hope you're not offended when I say that I will also use Memorial Day to remember the people that we have killed overseas. And I hope that people do take that to heart. So, what else happened over Memorial Day, you might ask? Well, what did I do with my time other than drinking and watching the LNC? I actually had a chance to get out. I went to uh, Malibu. I met some friends. I got some lobster rolls. Little uh, takeout thing. We ate them in a parking lot. I used a public restroom. That was very exciting. Very fun time using a public restroom for the first time in two months. But while I was out and about, you know what I missed dropping on uh, Friday? On Memorial Day weekend Friday? Oh, a a little thing called a report from the CDC, which came out. Because the government... Always, and this goes back, not just Trump, back to Obama, back before Obama. The administration always loves to drop these sneaky little, very vitally important pieces of news that would undermine everything they're doing. They love to release them on Fridays before national holiday weekends. It happens time and time again. I swear to God, I think Obama released like, whatever whatever the Fast and Furious reports were like, you know, all these things always happen on a holiday weekend. They always do it because they know people are distracted. They know they're going out of town or they're looking forward to drinking or they're having family over. They're doing whatever. The mainstream media is probably off taking half of them are taking a vacation. So they know the media coverage is not going to be as prolific if they drop it on a holiday weekend Friday. So the latest report from the CDC that dropped... States in very clear language, when you do look at the numbers, and I've included that at the show notes, which is at liberty.com forward slash ELL 178. But pretty clearly states that the fatality rate for COVID in the like, you know, best estimate is 0.3%. 0.3%. Not even the 1%, not even the 4% that you get with the flu season, 0.3%. And that, of course, 0.3% is the fatality rate. And, and they even say that you know it's predominantly in people 65 and up, predominantly people that are have health, health issues in it. The reason that they dropped this at this time is because they know people will go up in arms. Now, at least the people with rational minds will be up in arms about this because it highlights and really crystallizes that none of this had to happen. That the vast majority of us have been sheltering at home for no reason, have given up our economic liberties, have given up our ways of living, have given up our means of income, and have put future generations in a very deep hole as far as debt goes, as far as inflation goes, for absolutely no reason. And while I don't advocate for, and I've said this before, I'm going to try to keep this short, I don't advocate for uh, the government spending, but we could have very, very easily spent far less money. 129th, one fifty fifth of the amount of money that's been spent on these bailouts. And there's another one that's around the corner that they're talking about. Another stimulus, right? The Heroes Act, because they always have to name this shit after the like stuff that has nothing to do with it. They say, oh, we named it after the heroes that are on the front lines in the medical industry. Right. The same heroes, by the way, who are now being laid off because there's not enough demand at hospitals because no one's going in for fear of covid. Thanks, media. The media that's not covering this fucking CDC report, by the way left any media who has a bias and won't cover this news. So these same people that are being laid off and furloughed because there's not enough people going into the hospitals to, to require them, the same people that were making TikToks, oh, this is for them. And they want to thank them. They want to give them extra money. They want to give them extra hazard pay. On top of the fact that these people were doing their jobs until they were forced to get furloughed because of this fucking stay-at-home shit, because of the scare tactics that are keeping people from going to hospitals, because we were told to flatten the curve. So they don't need to be furloughed. And I would argue that why should they get hazard pay when they're working in hospitals where infectious diseases are all the time doing their jobs? You're doing your job, man. That's your job. I'm fine with companies giving optional hazard pay to people that sign up to be Amazon deliverers, you know, and stuff like that where they're like, well, I didn't sign up to be dealing with a thought-to-be-deadly disease that we now know the average Amazon delivery driver is not 65 with diabetes, so these people are also totally fine. But I would argue that Talking about bailing these people out more, adding more money on, giving them extra cash on top of everything else, on top of all the other stimulus cash we're talking about. For what reason? You don't need to do it. What you need is to end this lockdown. I mean, have you ever gone to the doctor's office and not had to wait? Has there ever not been a time where it was crowded? All these people in hospitals will have jobs again in two seconds. We don't need to bail them out. Stop the lockdowns. Let people go to work. Reopen the states up. And guess what? All these people will be busy. I I promise you. I promise you emergency rooms are not going to be dead empty once you open up. shit. People are going to go in there. They're going to go in in mass. They're going to have a lot of stuff that they need to get taken care of. A lot of things they should have been taken care of before, which is going to lead to a lot of death rates spiking down the line. Getting ahead of myself with COVID. All right, let's take a COVID break. So something else I want to talk about outside of this. I just want to talk about Memorial Day weekend dropping this goddamn 0.3% fatality rate report. And I'll come back to COVID in a bit because there's a few stories I want to talk about. But I also need to talk about something else that happened over Memorial Day weekend. And this happened in Minneapolis where a man named George Floyd originally had been uh, reported in a statement Monday night reported as dying from an unspecified, quote, medical incident after being transferred to a local hospital. Well, that report turns out complete bullshit because there are a bunch of eyewitnesses on the scene wherein a man was pulled out of his car, they said he was arrested or at least detained because of, uh, I guess, he had a warrant out for or he was wanted for doing forgeries, right? So what do they do? They pull him out of his car. They say that he was resisting arrest, which is a phrase which really can mean just about anything. Running away can be resisting arrest. Simply not complying with an order immediately can be resisting arrest. Virtually anything can be resisting arrest. It's a good catch-all blanket phrase that cops can use if they want to justify virtually any actions. Any outrageous abuse of authority, any any uh, unjustified violent actions that they want to partake in. Oh well, he was resisting arrest. We had to take this action. So fortunately, these onlookers caught this arrest. And what happened? They saw four officers around this guy. Right? They throw him to the ground, and one officer puts his, his knee. And I'm looking at this picture right now. He has his knee on the back of this guy's neck right on the back of his neck, right on the spine where the spine and the neck connect all the way up to the back of his head, crushing his neck and crushing his head against the pavement. The man stops moving after a couple minutes, right? He's crying. He's telling them, I can't breathe. Then goes limp. There's blood coming out of his nose. The officer then proceeds to kneel on his back for another eight minutes. Eight minutes after this man stopped moving and is lying on the ground, bleeding after saying he cannot breathe. Now, I'm not going to play this video live. It's 10 minutes long. I have a link to it in the show notes. You can find it. It's in the, uh, it's in common is the one that I'm looking at. And it's got an embedded Twitter video. You can go and see it. But I was talking to my wife about this and You know, it's like one of those things where people are saying that, oh, well, this is another example of a black man being abused. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if this had any racial implications. I can tell you that the the cops I can see are white. The man is black. That is an indisputable fact. Now, I don't know if Minneapolis is known for racism. I know there's a big Somali population there. I know, uh, you know, there's a couple of like Ilhan Omar is from Minneapolis. So I know that there's a strong black population there. I don't know if there's any situation where, and there's a certain section or a certain part where white cops are more uh, inclined to crack down. I don't know. What I do know is that talking about this and talking about why would cops do this type of thing? Why would they not let this man up, right? You know, he is on the ground. He's detained. His hands are behind his back. Even if he had been quote unquote resisting arrest, he's down. You have four cops around him. You've got tasers, you've got guns, you've got handcuffs, you've got batons. Why do you need, why do you need to continue kneeling on this man's neck? And I'll tell you why this happens. This is because once you have this blue mentality, right, this cop mentality of I'm in charge, right, it's us against you. I'm in charge. How dare you question my authority? How dare you, quote unquote, resist arrest? How dare these people, right? So they got the guy down. After he resists or whatever way, whatever way he did, right? Going against his cop's authority, how dare you? I'm gonna make you pay now. I'm gonna make you pay with pain and punishment, and it doesn't matter. So he puts his hand, he puts his knee on this guy's fucking neck, which is completely illegal, right? There's no there's no move they teach you in cop school where you crush a man's spine at his neck bone and on his throat with your kneecap. That's not fucking taught, I can promise you. But this guy then says, All right, I'm gonna make you to punish you for daring to disobey my goddamn amazing authority that's been deigned upon me, that's been that's been gifted to me by the fucking powers of authoritarianism and statehood to kill people on a whim. I'm gonna punish you for daring to question that. Not only that, but once the crowd sees he's gone limp, there's people around saying, "You're killing him. Get off him. You're killing this man." And honestly, I'm sad this crowd didn't storm this cop. I'm disappointed in them that they didn't. This is where people need, just like with an active shooter. If you have an active shooter, the worst thing you can do is have everybody sprint different ways and do all these things. You need to swarm that motherfucker and take him out. Just like with these fucking cowardly piece of shit cops. What that crowd should have done is get in there and tell this cop, get the fuck off him now or you're going to end up in the hurt locker. You can either shoot all of us right now or you get the fuck off that guy. They didn't do it. What they did do is really trying to fire up this cop's ego. Because now you got all these people around him saying, get off him, get off him, trying to tell this cop what to do. Well, nobody tells Johnny Blue Line what to do. No, Johnny Blue Line's got to maintain his authority by killing this fucking guy. By keeping his knee on the back of his neck, crushing his head, crushing his spinal column, making sure he can't breathe out of his trachea for 10 solid minutes. It's just sickening. And thank God, thank God, the people were around to videotape it, because you know the cops won't release body footage of anything. We're still waiting on body footage to be released from the Armad Ar- Ar- Arbery killing. We're still waiting for body footage to be released from Brianna Taylor, who I talked about last week on the show. So thank God there are people to videotape this, because now here's the update. Here's the good news update, which may or may not be real good news or not. But here's the good news update: the four cops that were there have been. No, and I, I don't want to say they've been fired. They have been, quote, separated from employment. So what does that mean? Because a lot of the times that we see in these situations, we see cops do these horrible actions that they're then protected by. They're shielded legally, which is being challenged in the Supreme Court, by the way. They're shielded from retribution because they're in the line of duty, protecting the public good, right? So how, you know You can't be held accountable because God forbid you're held accountable for killing somebody. Because then who would want to be a cop if you could come after and sue these people for the actions for murdering somebody? Who would
1: want to be a cop?
0: That's their argument. Before I finish that thought, I got to tell you about Adam Choi's People We Love Podcast. Now Adam is a guy that I know out here, uh, actually one of the first people I met in the Los Angeles Liberty scene, a great guy, a supporter of our podcast. And you can chat with Adam over at the Lions of Liberty Pride if you join up. But he's got a podcast where he's talking to people, predominantly comedians, about what's going on, the life, the lead, uh, what kind of things they're into, but also who they love. So he's bringing in comics to talk about how they're, they're looking at life, right? And then talking about the things they love. And honestly, for comics, that's kind of a trippy thing to talk about. Because especially for comedians, I don't know if people out there know this, but a lot of comedians are dark, disturbed, just messed up individuals. So it's an interesting flip side to hear a little bit more about what gives them joy, who they love, how they love, what they love. So in the People We Love podcast, Adam explores that. Now, of course, he's not just talking to comedians, uh, even though comedians are obviously the best. He's talking about people from, that are musicians, people that are, uh, that are writers, people from all walks of life. So I recommend that you check it out, especially if there's a person that you love. Maybe you can find a little common ground, you know, find a little shared story there, but check it out on people. We love available anywhere podcasts are heard or at people. love All right. Continuing this rant. So Okay, people are doctors, doctors are also held culpable for their actions, are they not? Right? That's why they've got, they've got insurance, they've got, the police unions also have insurance. Don't you worry. They've got backups. They also have ample tax money to draw on because we know that any time they pay out, that's not, that's not money coming out of the cop's pocket. No, no, it comes out of the police officer's fund or whatever other slush funds they have to pay for such things. But regardless, are we supposed to pretend that these people shouldn't be held responsible? So these cops got fired, but I don't know if they're, quote, separated from employment, if that means that they still get pensions, if that means that they are uh, that they've been laid off, but they still have some sort of link that they're still getting a paycheck until you are they suspended for now until the hearing, because that's typically what happens. Separated from employment is a very vague term that is not unintentional. I can guarantee that. So I'm very curious to see what the actual truth of the matter is. If they have been fired, if they lost their pensions, if they will face criminal criminal trials, or if not criminal, at least civil trials, and if they will have this magical shield that protects them from any sort of responsibility removed. So, happy Memorial Day for some of us. Not for all of us. Ah, Apparently, uh, my baby... Very happy about that rant. You're probably here in the background crying. I had to get up and go uh, take care of that and uh, eat some dinner. Been a, <laughs> might be a disjointed episode because I had to get up twice now. She's just uh, losing her shit. My wife, wife was making dinner. And of course, I go in there. After doing this rant, I sit down. I'm like, okay, I try to eat fast, right? So I can get this done because it's getting late. I got to go back. I still have half of a show to do. Try to get this thing posted and edited and out and all this other crap. And I'm eating dinner, which is like a rice bowl with some pork. It was good. It was like. She put it together kind of like a Mexican rice bowl. We're trying to eat healthier now after just being complete sacks of human garbage and uh, gaining the COVID-19 the last two months. So I'll be eating the rice bowl, right? Spicy pork's in there. Beans are in there. Lettuce or cabbage is in there and onions and salsa. I'm like, oh, it's very good. Okay, great. So I get up because I realize I forgot my glass of water. So I get up, try to go and get the water, right? And I've got the bowl in my one hand and as I get up, of course, catch my foot on a baby thing because there's just baby stuff everywhere. So I trip over the baby thing, smash my goddamn ankle on the living room table, which hurts like a motherfucker. And I'm like, God, I'm trying not to yell because usually when I hurt myself, I yell. Like I that's what makes me feel better. It's yelling, getting a goddamn pain out of my body. So I'm trying not to yell. Right? Because the baby's there. So I'm like, Argh! and then as I'm doing that, trying to keep this yell down, I start choking on my goddamn mouthful of rice and beans and, ch- and pork. So I'm choking and I'm in pain. So I go to the sink and I spit out the mouthful of food and I'm coughing in the sink and I'm like clearing my throat, just having a horrible time. Finally, stop choking, go back, sit on the couch. About to start eating my food again so I can finish this fucking podcast, which I, which, uh, to be honest, I was, I was like, okay, ready to get back at it. And now I realize I'm fatigued from three days of libertarian conventioning, but sit back at the table to enjoy my food and realize that in the midst of getting up and choking and, and stumbling across the floor in pain, I have forgotten the water. So what do I do? I get up to go get the water again and catch my foot on the same goddamn baby toy two times in a row, same place. I tell you, aggravating. I can hear my wife laughing at me in the next room <laughs> overhearing this story. Ah, you're stupid. God, God bless her. Anyway, so I'm back. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay. What else do I want to talk about here? Okay. Let's get, uh, let's get into real quick. I just, I'll just talk about this thing with Biden. I'll actually, I'll play the clip real quick and then I'm going to go back into some COVID news. We'll do that. We'll do the Biden clip, then go back into some COVID news, ex- exposing some of the hypocrisy of some of these lefty governors and then talk about who's actually opening up, uh, and a, and a frank statement from Andrew Cuomo for once. And then I want to hit on a little thing about uh, Google taking down the pandemic film. We'll talk a little bit about Hong Kong, a little bit about ballot box stuffing in Philly, and then something you do not want to miss, a eulogy for Hitler Gator. Hitler. <laughs> couldn't say it. Hitler Gator.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, all right, we'll get to that later, though.
2: Okay, so let me play this clip. You know, Vice President Biden, I've read some of your black agenda, and you say that you would decriminalize marijuana. What's the difference between legalizing it and decriminalizing it?
1: Because they're trying to find out whether or not there is any impact on the use of marijuana, not in leading you to other drugs, but what it affects, does it affect long-term development of the brain? And we should wait till the studies
2: are done. I think science matters. I think we got decade. I think we got decades and decades of studies from actual weed smokers, though. Yeah, I do. I
1: know a lot of weed smokers.
2: <laughs> I want to ask you about your, your your running mate. Um I don't know if you saw, well, I saw the day that a news report broke that uh Amy Klobuchar was being vetted, and a lot of people on social media, they're not too happy about that. And um it's because they want your running mate to be a black woman. I don't know if you saw the op-ed in the Washington Post are some of the leading Black women voices in this country, and they feel since Black women are such a loyal voting bloc, and Black people saved your political life in the primaries this year. They have things they want from you, and one of them is a Black woman running mate. What do you say to them?
1: What I say to them is that I'm not acknowledging anybody who is being considered, but I guarantee you there are multiple Black women being considered. Multiple. Thank well, you know, get it so up. much. That's really our time. I apologize. You can't do that to black media. You I won't. can't do that to white media and black media because my wife has to go on at six o'clock. Okay. Oh, oh, I'm in trouble.
2: Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions.
1: You got more okay. questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump.
2: And you ain't black it don't have nothing to do with trump it has to do with the fact i want something for my community i would love to see take you a look party. at my record man
1: i extended the voting racks 25 years i have a record that is second to none the naacp has endorsed me every time i've run the world i mean come on take a look at the record come on man take a look at the record but yeah so a couple funny
0: things there number one Joe Biden has been painted into a corner where he has to pick a black female, right? He, it, I don't know if it's going to be Stacey Abrams. It might be Kamala Harris. It might be somebody else. It's, it feels like he's painted himself into a corner here. Either that or just like you heard, if you're not sure between picking me or picking Trump, well, you ain't black. Well, the Democrats have long taken the Democratic or the Democratic base of the, the black voting American for granted, presuming that they automatically have that vote. And granted, I would argue that they've, Maybe forwarded some programs that on the surface look good for black America. But as I have long argued, and as Andy Williams Jr. echoed during the debate when he was on here with his presidential run, the policies effectively have hamstrung the black community. They removed the upward mobility of the black uh, populace who had had houses, had family units intact, had jobs that were secure, had upward mobility built into what they were doing. And then it all was undercut just completely removed and undercut by democratic policies, by the welfare state coming in, by redlining, by uh, emphasis on incentivizing not having full family units, on people that are arrested for over-criminalization or over-policing of neighborhoods that are black neighborhoods that were also created because the ghettos were created by Democrats. All these things add up to being bad for black America. Yet, black America just defaults to vote Democrat. And, you know, you've heard Eric July talk about it. You had uh, Andy Williams Jr. talk about it. You've had any number of leaders in the libertarian movement. And I'm, and I'm not sure if John Mons got into this or not, to be honest with you. I'd be curious to talk to him about it. But you have these people call it out and they say that it would it just even the thought of voting anything but Democrat in the black community is met with skepticism and, you know, oh my God, I can't believe it. Oh, you're not black. Meanwhile, you have... On its face, Joe Biden's record, right? He's talking about his record. Joe Biden's record has quite a few things in it that black America should raise an eyebrow at, including his record on criminalizing and trying to throw people in prison for smoking weed, for nonviolent crimes, for creating the term super predators. Actually, I don't know if he he created the term, but he very much supported the super predator uh, involvement in the bill, the 1994 crime bill, which of course is under Bill Clinton, and which just destroyed the black community. With the three strike laws with the lower the lower thresholds for throwing people in jail or prisoners for life I mean, it just was insane so for him to come out and be like look at my record simply invites people to actually look at his record which doesn't really hold up too well but again just to say you're not black like this this harkens back to what I think the black community that people that are trying to change the culture of the black community as far as attacking black people within it for being quote too white or not being black enough or anything else like I think Joe Biden is trying to play into that, and it just is the most condescending racist thing I've ever heard. Like, just because somebody doesn't speak a certain way, just because somebody wants to do something different with their life, just because they they decide that they don't want to use a specific vernacular or, uh, or, I don't know, buy into – like, I was reading Thomas Sowell's book, uh, White Liberals and Black Rednecks, where he really goes into – the black culture having drawn simply from, I mean, way back, you know, basically white trash culture going back into, into England, like where my family was, the old white trashies in, uh, in Scotland and Ireland. And of course that was because of exposure in the South to the white population during the slave times when they had, you know, these, like their interactions were not always with the masters, but they were probably with a lot of people that passed along these same values, you know, these same Hick values from uh, Southern England or whatever it might be. And then, carried them over to the South, the predominantly slave-owning South at the time, and then were adopted and passed along culturally to the Black population. But talking about how this chivalry, you know, this machismo slash uh, chivalry society of easily offended, but yet having low standards for education, low standards for, uh, for achievement, these things are cultural. They're not racial. They're not uh, born into your genes. They are culturally passed on from one generation to the next and are at a huge detriment to that society. And here's Joe Biden doubling down on that. This old white curmudgeonly fuckball is now telling black people that they're not black If they don't vote for him over Donald Trump, again, challenging their blackness, challenging their manhood, like buying into all of these cultural uh, adaptations that have been thriving within the poorer aspects of the black community for a long time and are in no way should be supported in no way should be viewed as something that is that is uh, acceptable to throw out in a political debate that you're not black enough if you decide to vote for Donald Trump, or you're not black enough if you decide to question Joe Biden and his background on crime and and legislation insofar as it affects black communities. Just absurd. And I think that's something too the Democrats really want to play up. Well, probably both political parties outside of libertarians want to prey upon and want to play up is this, you know, you have to vote with your community block. Whereas we have people, that want to have more individualism and are individuals in thought and individuals in action and do not want to simply say, "We are this block of voting, and we always vote the same way, and if you dare to question that or you dare to go against it, well then you're not one of us, and you have to be ousted, and you have to be ostracized and sent out in the desert like mad Max beyond Thunderdome with a giant uh, i don't even know what the hell that was a giant paper mache puppet doll on your head, okay, enough on that. <laughs> Enough on me ranting about Joe Biden, and uh, hopefully not coming across as uh, sounding racist. Although, yeah, again, it's Thomas kind of Soul I'm uh, I'm referring to here. Um, okay, so a couple things for COVID I want to talk about. Just you know the 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 double standards for a lot of these utter leftist governors. You know, it's like, for example, Ralph Northam, old blackface Ralph Northam himself, who somehow still still has a job because he's heavily Democrat in uh, what was a now it seems to be flipping, actually, Virginia might be flipping back red, but uh, predominantly Democrat in a uh, position of power. So God forbid anybody really raises up and questions whether or not he was in blackface or in a KKK hood, both of which should not really be, uh, you know, great things if you happen to be a governor. But anyway, he was seen out without a mask over Memorial Day weekend. He took a selfie with it. And then people called him out for taking a selfie, not wearing a mask. So what does he turn around and do? Oh, he mandates that everybody has to wear them all the time if they're going into stores now. Yeah, you go out in public, you go to a store. Oh, you, know, you have to wear a mask now. Because Ralph got caught So now he has to make sure that he doesn't look weak on this, right? He he can't have his morals, his democratic, we will do anything as far as the lockdown goes. And I am the grand authoritarian morals question. So since he was caught, now everybody has to wear masks all the fucking time. And of course, this is in in a time when we're having the plateau, we're having the flattening, we're having everybody that's been opening up as far as states go. Have good results. We're not seeing a tsunami of new cases happen. We're not seeing a tsunami of new deaths. In fact, I was talking to buddies about that over the weekend because these idiots in the media and these assholes that want to pretend that COVID is the threat that it was made out to be to the grand populace at large are saying that, oh, well, look at Texas, right? They just had a spike in deaths the day after they opened. And you go, okay, assholes, no. Number one, you don't just die the next day, COVID doesn't kill you overnight. It's not like a murder that sneaks in your house and slits your throat. That's not the way it works. It takes some weeks. So just because people died now means that they got it weeks ago. They've probably been on ventilators for weeks. Or they're probably in nursing homes where everybody seems to be dying of COVID. And also, we're seeing more cases, not because it's spreading rapidly, but because we're testing everywhere now. If you test in more places, you're going to have more cases. And we're also seeing more deaths because they're reporting more deaths. Even if you die from alcohol poisoning, which I think happened in Virginia, actually, they had a man in the story I was reading where a guy died seven times the uh, legal limit of alcohol in his body, right? I think or even seven times maybe what you're supposed to have before you die. This guy dies, happened to have COVID, and they mark him down as a COVID death. A guy who was like 40. Just so stupid, and of course they're incentivized. They get something like thirteen thousand dollars every time somebody dies on a ventilator, so they're hooking people up to ventilators even though they don't seem to make that much of a difference. And in fact, they they can still do damage because a lot of the lungs are damaged from this. Just it's just absurd. But anyway, you just you gotta love the overreaction, right? And of course, he's not the only one. Gretchen Whitmer, Michigan's own horrible dictator, Gretchen Whitmer. She is she's going out there saying that people can't have power boats out. So Memorial Day, people want to take their powerboats out, right? You have to get a special permit to do that. And who ends up putting a permit in? Oh, her husband. Isn't that cute? So do as I say, not as I do. Now, coming back around, California is actually looking to open some places up. They're going to allow places of worship to reopen. So that's nice. Uh, They're going to have some in-store retail shopping open up. But of course, these are at severely limited capacities. I still don't know if we're going to be having any bars open up, whether that's going to be with spacing or not. I think you're seeing a lot of places do speakeasy style now because they're just sick of it and they can't make it through. Good on you. You should. We're also seeing that some people are actually candidly saying that they failed. Andrew Cuomo admits that they quote-unquote all failed making projections, but at the same time, He's still not opening up New York. He's still not allowing people to go about their business. He's still not acknowledging the fact that this is wildly overblown, that this is a draconian response that has absolutely crushed the economy of one of the most thriving cities in America and that people are not going to be bouncing back and that they are bankrupt, the state that is, and that there's no way they're ever going to make that money back. And in the meantime, Cuomo's still on his high horse. He's doing his fucking vaudeville routines with his brother, which are just embarrassing. It's an embarrassing excuse for journalism, what's going on. I don't I don't think I talked to this on the last show, but Chris Cuomo had his brother on, and he has on like little props about testing. On one side, you've got Andrew Cuomo berating a reporter for daring to ask if we should open up the economy and at what, you know, if there's a price to put on a life. And of course, Andrew Cuomo tries to shame her, saying that one life is too many. Oh, blah, 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 blah. how dare you? And on the other hand, he goes on CNN with his clown ass fucking brother Fredo, who pulls out a giant Q-tip swab prop and doesn't. And there's no hard questions. He just throws softball questions at him and jokes about their relationship with their mom and who lost tomato sauce recipes. Your nose is so big, Andrew. I got a giant swab to test you. But the good news is that these people are not going to be able to keep this active for long. I talked about the CDC report, which sneak dropped. And of course, the media is ignoring as much as they possibly can this past weekend. So not only that, though, but we're now seeing open letters being signed by doctors, hundreds of doctors. It was 600 at least that signed a letter to Trump talking about the suicide rates, which when I'm arguing with all my fucking progressive assholes who are yelling at me for daring to question on my Facebook page, whether or not we should open up or not. And again, trying to shame me into thinking that there isn't a price that there, that we can actually put on a human life when you're talking about destroying people's livelihoods and of course, encouraging suicides. Because when you have economic downturn, you have suicides. And when you're locked in your home, with no hope of recovery, seeing your life's work taken away, or simply because you have severe depression, because you can't get out and see your doctor regularly, you can't get out and see your friends, maybe you have alcohol issues, maybe you have drug issues, well, you're going to see a lot more suicides. And these doctors wrote a letter to Trump, and it's backed up by them. They said, we're seeing four times the amount of suicides that we usually do Every month, four times. So while we may not see 100,000 suicides pop up, not immediately anyway, the ripple effect of all this is going to be generations deep. And also that 100,000 numbers throwing out there, right? Because they're saying that, oh, we're about to hit 100,000 deaths. And it was said that 200,000 deaths was what was going to happen. Now, that granted, that was supposed to be in the first two months of this thing. And that's with social distancing. Had an argument with a friend of mine who And like all these people, doesn't know what he's fucking talking about. And he goes, we were supposed to have 200,000 deaths, man. And I run up, yeah, that was with everything we're doing now. We don't only have 100,000, we're not even there yet, but almost 100,000 because we did all the social distancing. No, no, no. It was supposed to be 200 actually it was supposed to be 200,000 in the U.K. and 2.2 million in the U.S. I'm getting my own stats wrong. They said originally 2.2 million deaths. So all these people saying, "Oh no, we really did a good job stemming it." No. no, all of the social distancing, all the economy shut down, all that was built into the original uh, pres- you know, prescribed solution and, and what they thought was going to happen with this, and it was all nonsense. It's all based on a horrible, horrible modeling. Just why nobody should be following these models and doing poly, you know, massive sprawling policies based upon them. But there's 100,000 numbers coming up. And that's a magic number because it's a scary big number that the media is going to play up. But let me tell you something right now, that number is, of course, vastly made up of people that are over the age of 65 that may have died from any number of other ailments because a lot of these people would have been cancer patients, leukemia patients. They might've been dying from various other heart diseases. They might've been dying from uh, diabetes or overweight or heart stress. All these things are, are, are in these older populations that are already in the nursing homes. And again, You know, we're having the vast amount of people that are dying be in nursing homes, especially in New York state, which is like one of the hotbeds, especially in, uh, God, what was the other one? I think it was actually in Virginia. Not only that, but like I talked about, they're now changing the way they're reporting COVID deaths. So you just saw it went jump from 60,000, like 40,000 overnight. Wow. How did that happen? Considering the fact that we've been flattening the curve out, considering the fact that we've all been social distanced, considering the fact that herd immunity should play some role, warming weather and sunshine play a role, if anything, things should be slowing down. And they are. If you look at the way the stats are being reported, before they started recounting this, everything was going down. But now, because they've reconfigured how we're reporting COVID deaths, where you can presume if somebody had symptoms, oh, they reported a cough and they're dead. Well, they had COVID without even testing them. So they mark that down as a COVID death because they're incentivized to get more money. If you mark somebody down as dying of COVID, because like I said, they could have died of any other ailment, but because they get that money, they mark them down as a COVID death. Even if they died of a heart attack, COVID death, oh, COVID, COVID caused a heart attack, COVID caused their brain to explode. COVID caused that guy's dick to fall off and to roll into a cover. It's COVID, COVID, COVID. So you're going to see this number hit. You're going to see the media make a big deal of it as though it's something that is so momentous. Oh, we knew this was coming. It is the apocalypse we promised when it's not. It absolutely is not. The CD report says as much. 0.3 fatality rate. Did I say fatality rate? 0.3 mortality rate. I got stuck between fatality and mortality. Fartality though, something my wife very familiar with. Having lived with me for several years, okay. Uh, next, I just want to talk about a couple of things really quick, and then I'll wrap this up because I got to wrap it up. Um, and again, sorry, it's a little uh, disjointed today, guys. Uh, Google Drive took down a personal copy of Pandemic after it was flagged by the Washington Post. Now, this, I, I, I guess Google Drive. I mean, I'm trying to think of a way that you could justify this. So. Google Drive of course is free. However, I don't think that gives Google all the opportunity in the world to look through everything you keep on your drive and and I got I'm not looking through the terms of service. If it's true that Google Drive says we have access to anything you store on that drive and you're not you have zero privacy rights, that's pretty fucking crazy. Because obviously Google's been censoring pandemic, this has been a big story. I saw it, it was interesting. I think I talked about in the last episode. I can't know for sure if this woman is telling the truth or not, but she definitely worked for Fauci. But the Washington Post contacted Google, which on its own is terrifying because I guess they saw it because somebody had this this pandemic file on a personal Google Drive. So they cover a story talking about it being taken down. Google itself was contacted by the Washington Post, right? So the Washington Post reported this to try to censor somebody's private account. And this woman, Dwaskin, who was wrote about wrote about the, the uh, file being taken down by the Washington Post, and she wrote it for the Washington Post, also said the Washington Post reported 12 videos to YouTube, 61 Facebook posts and Instagram links to Facebook, and 24 videos to TikTok featuring the trailer. Why is the Washington Post going out of its way? I mean, if you didn't think the Washington Post is a tool of the government, uh, then you are blind and foolish because clearly... It's operating without any journalistic integrity. I mean, why otherwise would it go to try to take something out that has nothing to do with with uh, the, the government, nothing to do with the media? It is a solely privately funded film that has been put out into circulation, that the Washington Post has no financial stake in, that the Washington Post has no uh, journalistic stake in other than to cover it from a, the standpoint of what is or isn't true about this, but yet they're the ones reporting it. There, the, the journalists are now trying to censor other media by reporting it and red-flagging it to these massive media conglomerates, which of course are also left-leaning, and getting in bed with them. And I hate for this, God, I don't want this show to start turning into just me bashing the left all the time, but this is the problem when you have virtually all of these media companies and big tech companies so controlled by the left and so left-leaning in their bias, combined with entities like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the San Francisco Chronicle, the LA Times, et cetera, that are also massively left-leaning. It's hard to get around it without talking about it. And then you combine that with everything that's going on with COVID and the fact that the leftists are in fact the ones pushing the lockdowns and refusing to acknowledge any of the the benefits of opening up economies, because I, and I trust me, I do this from personal experience as well as professional looking around what's going on in the media spectrum. It's just hard not to connect the dots here. So I apologize if you're getting sick of it, but I don't know how else to talk about this without specifically connecting these dots. But according to Google Drive policy, right, So I'm trying to figure out how they can do this, distributing what Google deems to be, quote, misleading content related to civic and democratic processes Misleading content related to harmful health practices, manipulated media are all prohibited with possible exceptions when the content is used in an educational, documentary, scientific, or artistic context. Now, this is a documentary context. Or arguably a scientific context or even artistic. It's a documentary film. So under what context do they justify removing it? This doesn't make any sense. And of course, they don't go into how they find these files, if they have to be reported or if they are going through and scanning your personal files to do it. All I know is I got to get off Google. That much is very clear to me. I need to stop using Google Drive. Uh, I need to stop using YouTube. I need to stop using Gmail, which, of course, is the default for everybody at the moment. I need to get myself. Actually, I think I already started up a ProtonMail account. You got to rely on that more. All right, next story. By the way, I got a new mouse, and it's loud. <laughs> it's louder than my old mouse. So you probably hear me clicking. Um, this story is pretty interesting. In Philadelphia, an elections judge named Dominic J. Demiro pleaded guilty to conspiracy uh, because he was stuffing ballot boxes for judicial candidates And for other candidates seeking office in the 2014 and 2016 primary elections, he was working hand-in-hand with a Democratic committee person from South Philly. Uh, They both pled guilty to this, to accepting thousands of dollars in bribes to inflate the vote totals for three Democratic candidates for the Common Pleas Court and, I guess, a couple other positions. And what they did, they even know how he did it, DeMuro fraudulently stuffed the ballot box by literally standing in a voting booth and voting over and over as fast as he could while the while he thought the coast was clear. And basically they said he had racked up 27 fraudulent ballots in the primary election, 40 votes in May 2015, and 46 in 2016, according to court documents outlining the scheme and charges against him. And prosecutors say, while the numbers may seem small, they made up a significant percentage of the total votes cast at the polling place. In 2014, 118 total ballots were reported, which means his fraudulent votes accounted for 22% plus of the total. In 2015, his fraud was 15% of the votes. And in 2016, 17% of the votes. Now, this comes at an interesting time when Democrats are rapidly pushing for us to lower the standards for elections and for voting, for getting rid of IDs, for ballot harvesting practices where you go door to door. I've talked about those before. I'm not going to talk about it again. And for doing mail-in, wherein you look at this and you go, clearly, and I'm not saying just Democrats do this kind of shit, but clearly – The farther you get from a direct, in-person, observable vote being made, the more opportunity there is for fraud. And as we see, despicable people will, in fact, welcome that fraud, will partake in that fraud, and will do it not only for money, but for power. So I'm against any sort of voting that opens this up because I simply don't trust the processes at all. I don't trust the processes now, let alone with what they want to do with them. And the last thing, I promised you Hitler Gator, so let's talk about Hitler Gator and end this episode on a little bit of a high note, because the alligator that was rumored to to have belonged to Hitler has died in the Moscow Zoo. There's no reports on whether or not this alligator took his own life in a bunker looking at his beloved Ava Gator as he did it, but (laughs) the alligator named Saturn was 84 years old when he died. I don't know how the fuck this goddamn alligator got tied to Hitler, by the way. According to the zoo, Saturn was born in the US, then sent to the Berlin Zoo, and then he escaped from the zoo when it was bombed in 1943. His whereabouts were unknown until 1946 when British soldiers found him and gave him to the Soviet Union. Now, again, how do we know this is the same alligator? Number one, how did this alligator live in a war zone? For three years, in in England, by the way. I'm sorry, in Berlin. It's not warm in Berlin. How did an alligator live that long? I'm going to say two different gators. But then, I say almost immediately, the myth was born he was allegedly in the collection of Hitler not the Berlin Zoo. (laughs) So there you go. What a ridiculous, crazy-ass story to finish up Electric Liberty Land with. Um, But yeah, that will do it, guys. So at the end of the show... I want to uh, to give a shout out again to my buddy Dan Smolt at the System is Down. He did some fantastic videos for Vermin Supreme. There's talk of him working with Joe Jorgensen. I strongly suggest that, uh, that everybody supports that. If you want her to have some incredibly slickly created and very very appealing, uh, especially to the younger voting block, he has a very very uh, slick way of editing and of you know combining that with music and good phrasing and uh, and really inspiring words to create a product that is second to none so i do hope that you will uh, voice your support for dan to take over those videos and and really help her make an impact and of course he also hosts the system is down podcast which is a great podcast and, uh, of course, Dan started after being inspired by the Lions of Liberty. But Dan does a great job of bringing in very controversial subjects and talk- talking about them uh, very honestly, very candidly, not getting pissed off and yelling like I do, but taking it from a very conversational, okay, let's discuss this and look at the different sides of the debate, as you would want people to do. So I suggest you check that out, get a feel for the podcast and the great work that he's doing. Also, uh, a free event you can look into from Mikhail Mikkel, Mikhail Thorup. I'm not good with names. Have you guys realized that I'm not good with names? Mikhail Thorup, who has been on the uh, the show several times, and you may have caught. Uh, An interview Mark did with him that aired yesterday, but he is going to be hosting the free offshore escape 2020 online summit. I know Mark's going to be speaking during that as are several other very prominent people within the movement and outside of the movement. So you can check that out uh, offshore escape 2020. I'll put the affiliate link in the show notes, but again, you can get a ticket for that for free. And, I want to tell you to check out the LNC debate or not sorry, not the LNC debate. I'm so I used to saying debates after doing so many of them, the LNC recap show, which I was not a part of. Unfortunately, I had to go out when the, uh, right as the convention ended, I had to go out and meet somebody. So I was not on that show, but Howie Odie and Mark were on there doing a good job recapping it. So give that a listen on the flagship Monday show. I'm here every Wednesday. Love me. Review me, share the show, tell a friend. Especially now, we've got a great opportunity. We're all focused on the election stuff. So when I debut my... uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet. Either it's going to be Say It Ain't Joe, which will be a Rand pluses, minuses for Joe Jorgensen and how she's doing, or Joe versus the Volcano. Feel free to tweet at me. Let me know which one you prefer. Say It Ain't Joe or Joe versus the Volcano. And, uh... (laughs) I'll be looking at what she's doing, but the great opportunity to get some more people interested in what's going on in the show, share it around some of the forums of support for her when appropriate, not just spamming it out. But of course, if I do a review show, I'd appreciate you guys sharing it, getting it some attention and listens and seeing what people think of my reviewing Joe. And then also, uh, John Odermat on felony Fridays. Given the, uh, the good breakdowns of all the justice stuff going on, I'm sure John will touch upon Brianna Taylor soon. I'm sure he will also have something to add to the case I talked about today in Minneapolis, among other fantastic interviews with people that were either in the criminal justice system, helping people in the criminal justice system, or were uh, police officers sometimes that have now come around to the viewpoint of liberty and realize just how uh, just how fucked everything is actually when you start to look at it and take a step back and get your mind out of that thin blue line mentality. Okay. That's it for this show. This broken up, disjointed choking on shit, tripping over fucking baby crap show. That's going to do it. So for me, Brian McWilliams from the lions of Liberty and from electric Liberty land, always stay plugged into Liberty.